0: Hey everyone, it's Jacob uh, here with you at the top of the show, uh, just me. Uh, I wanted to just very briefly record a message uh, letting you know that we recorded this episode with Matt Byrne about six weeks or so ago, just after the news story that we discuss broken newspapers. Um, part of the reason it took me so long to edit the episode is that, as I'm sure you can already tell, we've had a significant upgrade in terms of audio gear, which I've been having to wrap my head around. And beyond that, um, I've just been quite busy with uh, political and union activism on top of my regular job pouring beers. So please enjoy this episode. It's a great one, and I hope it leaves you with a resonance of the message that we always try to impart on this show. Get involved in whatever way you can. Participate. Enjoy the show. And we're at a moment where sort of all all contradictions are heightened by product of the crisis of contemporary capitalism. We find ourselves deeply in class politics.
1: Classic fucking boomer,
0: old New Left, maintaining a relationship with neoliberalism. capital! capital. Dow. capital.
1: capital. Dow. No, capital! No, capital! No, 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 Dow. no. Are no. you no. international? What's do from cameras? No. Three, two, one. You're listening to doll Capital. Welcome to the show. This episode today, we'll be talking to former Labor Party Secretary, Matthew Byrne, Secretary of the ACT Labor Branch, who is currently over in Belgium doing interesting things. And he's our first ever returning guest. So there you go, which is great. Um, There's a lot to talk about. Um, We'll try to keep it as succinct as we can. Lots of interesting things. A topic that was very dear to our hearts, which is really fundamentally about party democracy, And about one of the key points for us being socialists is radical democracy having a say. Now, in the last two weeks, there has been spectacular news that has developed in Australia where an incredible sting run by we don't know who, but obviously maybe with some um, implicit support of people inside the uh, movers and shakers in the right of the Victorian Labor Party, uh, were involved in a... You could only call it an incredible surveillance operation, yeah. which um, through the nine-owned uh, Age newspaper and 60 Minutes ran uh, absolutely explosive. Is, is Bloody it good only, is, sting.
0: It's only a week now, isn't it? It's only been a week. When, yeah. but when this comes out, it'll be, have been about two weeks.
2: You liar. Why would you make up a lie like that?
0: Which is, yeah. which is pretty cool. In,
1: the, in those two weeks, what we have seen is... Uh, the gentleman implicated with what we call branch stacking in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, a guy called Adam Sumarek. Uh I did get it right, didn't I? Somurek. 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 Som-urek. Som-urek. Now he's been implicated in um, very serious branch stacking. He's also been implicated in probably in activities that may be construed as being
0: uh, illegal. Certainly against the party rules.
1: Yeah, against the party potentially rules. Potentially illegal, allegedly. Uh, but yes, I think in terms of things of um, you know signing things for people and those sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So today we want to talk about SOMIREC, but I think more broadly we want to we're going to talk about um, I guess a little bit of, of history mm-hmm. of, of what's happened since. Now, Someric has had to have been forced out of the, the, the Victorian Labor Party. Within 24 hours, we saw, we've seen uh, two front benches in the Andrews-led government in Victoria resign. We've also seen um, incredible pressure on the Victorian Labor Party and uh, pressure being piled upon federal Labor in terms of what they know about what's going on. And there's a lot of people saying they don't know anything. Uh, mm. about it apparently it's all news to them incredible we, well, I'm, I'm amazed and we actually are seeing already the fallout in New South Wales where a um, there was an MP recently set aside after an inquiry that were, a report that was handed down three months ago implicating uh, brand stacking in New South Wales in Western Sydney uh, I've forgotten the name Matt you might remember but it's already claiming scalps all over the place. It is a big story in Australia and for the Australian left um, because it has implications for how things are going in the next couple of months. And if not in the next couple of years, um, I'll stop there. Matt, initial responses there, and maybe we'll get to history in a moment.
2: Oh, well, you're right. It is ex- The events have been very extraordinary. Um, I don't think I've ever seen an operation quite like this Uh, before or even read about it uh, in in the history books of a sting of this nature uh, to root out um, what appears to be a systematic, wide-scale branch stacking operation um, where people have found a pot of money and gone out and paid for, um, allegedly fraudulently, uh, people's memberships in order to um, gain control of pre um and uh, votes on important uh, decision-making bodies in the Victorian Labor Party. So it's it's staggering. Um, you know, the Victorian ALP has been dealing with these kinds of things both on the right and the left for a very long time. But this this the scale of this operation is 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 pretty amazing. Um, but I guess the thing to take heart out of it is that the, is that the, uh, the party, when it came to air, acted decisively and quickly. Um, and I think it's good that the, the branch is now under administration. Um, you know, we might have um, some views from uh, their time in office of both Brax and Jenny Macklin, but I think we, we, can't, um, we can't really question their integrity um, or their commitment to building a, a modern and, and relevant Labor Party either.
0: So maybe we, we could go into some of the um, specifics of what Sombrek was caught doing and uh, the particular ways in which it breaks Labour Party rules and potentially even uh, breaks... Um, Australian law so um, the main part of the um, age and 60 minutes sting uh, or the sort of the most I suppose telegenic part of it was this um, footage of Urek, um taking about two grand out of an ATM at a sort of strip mall in suburban Melbourne um, and then taking it and hand- putting it in a folder with uh, uh, a bunch of membership forms which had already been filled out and handing them over to um, who's a man who's been um, colourfully described as the bag man by the age but who is the, um, yeah, he's a staffer and I think crucially I think as well um, he's, a, he was a, he's a senior policy advisor to a, a a minister in the Victorian government which means that his job's taxpayer funded, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, um, so uh, the idea then is that uh, that guy, his name's Nick McLennan uh, takes those forms and that money off and submits them to um, uh, the sub branch secretary uh, to wherever those uh, members are being signed up, and they get signed up as if they're genuine members. Um, there are a couple of things about this process that go against the party rules, right? Well, it um, goes to the the branch office, like a deposit party office. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but they'll be signed up to a particular sub-branch, right? And the the idea is that uh, then that um, voting power can get used in pre-selections and other sub-branch procedures. Yeah, so they either get signed up to a branch or to the central, um, or to what they call
2: the central pool of of members, um, which but because they're enrolled in an FEA or in a federal electorate, they they have certain rights to exercising in that electorate.
0: Right, yeah. So, um, for one thing, um, in the party rules, you uh, must pay for your own, you have to independently pay for your own um, membership fees, which is a really important uh, anti-stacking measure. Um, uh, In addition to that, obviously, you have to sign yourself up, you know, you have to consent to being signed up. So, there's also questions about whether these people were even aware that they were being signed up for membership in the party, let alone whether they were... uh, Paying for it themselves or not? Um, you also
2: have to be correctly enrolled and live in the place where, you right? Stay of course, as in well.
0: Yeah, and there's something. There's some stuff in um, in the report and in analysis about. Um, is it what's the the term? Is it banking? Something like that? Um, that's that's used basically the practice of um, enrolling a lot of people into a sub branch or into the um, the general pool um, in such a way that won't ar- arouse suspicion, and then six months or twelve months later. Um, shifting them all over at the same time into a sub branch just before there's a pre selection or something on, um, in order to to wield that power to dramatically change the proportions of power in that particular sub branch. Yeah, are there any other particular um, applications to branch stacking that it's are worth noting, Matt? No, I think that's mm. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So what's the immediate fallout been here?
1: Well, what's been great to watch was. Um... Matt, um, look, kudos to you, much solidarity, comrade. Uh, Matt saw that article in the Age and then got on the on the on the on the social media and put got out. Got posted. And got posted and got posted, and, and he posted a very good, an absolute um, cracker of a post. cracker of a post. A critique there of of what had happened, and more importantly, what needs to be done. And um, I mean, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on in on today's episode, but. Um, I think what is, you can only really describe, the behaviour is disgusting. It, it is, we've always known there's been um, problematic uh, behaviour, particularly in, in branches like New South Wales and Victoria, um, of this kind of, um, whether, you know, talked about or not, or denied um, behaviour of... Um, Signing people up who either didn't know what they were being signed up to, or quite willing to sign up to be, to be paid off to actually go and join something. Um, that's that's happened. That's on the, the public record, and now we've got this exposes a what what the, the um, corporate media have been calling a industrial um, mm. brand stacking exercise. So, so, is, so that,
0: is there something unique about this particular instance of brand stacking? I mean, yeah. I know that it's um, it's an, it been an issue, and there have been a, a, accusations of brand stacking. You know, for the party's entire life, basically. Um, so, uh, is it um, is there something unique about maybe this particular approach, which is um, the signing up of ethnic communities, that is new or different, or is it basically the same old same olds?
2: Not, not really. Not in terms of um, of going out and targeting um, specific communities mm-hmm. um, and and doing it like that. No, but I think what is um, what is special about this is the size of it. Um, and, how, and it's basically spread across the whole of Victoria or across, across many um, federal electorates in, in Victoria. You know, I think that's, that's what's um, so uh, yeah special about this uh, and also how brazen they were. Uh, like, it's, it's pretty clear that everyone could see it happening, uh, at least in some part, in some way, shape and form. Like, it sounds like it was a pretty poorly kept secret that everyone knew this was happening. Um, and There are attempts from um, other uh, groupings in the party um, you can see that a certain another uh, left-wing Victorian senator has also uh, had his name um, dragged through the papers recently for similar uh, activities. Um, but it's also well reported that they couldn't keep up uh, with the scale of um, uh, stacking um, that allegedly came out of the SOMIREC Group or the Mods that they call themselves. Um, yeah, so it's, it's the size and scale of the operation. I think is the um, the standout point of that of this of this of this case.
1: In the historical context, though, Matt, uh, they, they have been picking up on the fact that the national intervention, which has happened, so the federal Labor Party, so the federal national the national executive of the the Labor Party, which is how often is that elected? That's every two years, or it's every no, it's a national conference, which is every three years. Every three years, it's elected, and it's which it's Adam come... Stubierak was on, by the way. Yes, which he, he was on. He's a sitting member for Victoria. That's right. Yeah, um, and to give. Listeners and I, you know, an idea of the the significance of this. It, the our understanding is that this is the first time there's been a, a federal intervention into the Victorian branch since Golf Whitlam, um, and probably and up no, to I, the year. Yeah. To the years, yes.
2: It's the 50th anniversary. Well, of yeah. the uh, intervention of the Victoria Branch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Historians love periodisation. So, as a as a sort of would be historian, I can tell you that it's extremely pleasing that it's an exact half yes. century. It
2: opens a chapter and closes it. Love <laughs> it, it. <laughs> it closes the, uh,
1: the period. It's really good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and they are trying to make hay with this connection too. Actually, have you noticed? You have picked up on that, Matt? Have you things? You've, have you seen any the commentary? Uh, I know Grattan was mentioning it the other day in her um, take of problems for Labor and mm. uh, and, and others. Michelle Grattan is a journalist. With the, well, not really just a journalist, but... She's like the doyenne of... She's a former editor journalism. of the Canberra Times. Yes. Yes. Right. One yeah. of the most senior national
2: reporters.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been seeing that um, both... I think that the, the analogy is maybe a bit shaky, but definitely there's a point to be made that... Um, what's happened here in terms of um factional politics and uh, the sort of lay of the land that it's occurred on really that stage gets got set um in the aftermath of the 1970 intervention i think the intervention in 50
1: years ago is a, definitely a, like i think there's a different context and time uh, a different set of politics going on um there's still things that i'd Kind of forgotten, really. I remember reading about Whitlam and, and things like that when I was, you know, back when I did uni a long time ago as a earnest politics student. I was like, oh, he was on the right of Labor politics. Oh, that's interesting. And oh, they were involved in an intervention of in Victoria. And so, funnily enough, Australian um, Labor politics, particularly contemporary Labor politics, has a wonderful habit of um, forgetting the, its history. Um, the intervention was around the Victorian branch seeking to defund um, private and schools yeah. and Catholic schools. If, yeah. um, we haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah, so Matt, Gough Whitlam, 70s, like all right, some of our boomers friends are drawing a bit of a long bow uh, about the... Crisis of with this situation in Victoria is uh, the start of something that kicked off in the seventies and closing another book, or have we got something completely different?
2: Yeah, it is. It is different. You know the 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 context that that Whitlam intervened in in into Victoria. Well, the Whitlam got the the party to intervene into Victoria in the seventies was because the was I think around the uh, schools funding debate. Uh, about whether this, the federal state should, should fund um, non-public schools, but also um, around the fact that the the Victorian branch had become run by a very small oligarchy of uh, trade union leaders um, from um, the so-called uh, left um, but they are from a very old uh, world view of of trade union um, um, control of the Labor Party, um, which was very top-down. Um, Not a lot of kind of worker involvement in their democracy, Uh, not really the self-government of Labor, uh, to quote uh, the Gordon Child, but, um, you know, more of a machine uh, from my limited understanding of of the time. Um, And, and, you know, Whitlam obviously was um, tapping into the, uh, you know, the the... The time of the late '60s and, and early '70s, which is around you know the the new left, um, people wanting to become having more say over their life um, and and wanting more participation in their society and, and and democracy. And I think he was kind of tapping into that. And it's interesting that that kind of happened from a, a soft right uh, point of view. So you know you have um, um yeah the, the Fabian Society and and people organising through through vehicles like that um that, that, that allowed for a rejuvenation of the branch and, and um and for a changing of the of the guard. But I think they they yeah, whether whether it, it actually um precipitated the, the situation we're in now or not, I, I'm not so sure. I think um I think the party culture evolved has evolved quite a bit in that in that period. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um I suppose like the question of um state funding for Catholic schools was absolutely the catalyst for th- that intervention. But um, on the other hand, I think it goes a bit deeper as well. Um, so, like, Whitlam had been opposition leader for, what is it, two and a half years or so by, by the time we were in the middle of 1970. Um, and the Victorian state branch was the, probably the worst performing of any of the state branches in both state and federal, politi- uh, federal elections at the time. So that there's also this trend of, pretty serious dissatisfaction on the federal level with the electoral fortunes of the state branch and a desire to um, better align the state branch generally with the political principles uh, of the of the federal federal parliamentary party so um, then the other half of the context i guess is the long-running now fifteen at this point in time 15 year old split of the labor party um, with the catholic um, labor, uh, you know, breakaway group, the, the DLP, um, Democratic, Democratic Labor, labor Party. Um, so uh, that gives you a hint as to why, why it was in particular a question on the funding of Catholic schools that ended up um, being what brought this, you know, tension to a head, right? Um, so... Then, of course, as you mentioned, yeah, you have like this um, really kind of left wing, I suppose, um, nominally, but um, in practice, organizationally, um, authoritarian um, oligarchy, um, managing the affairs of the party at the top. Very small number of trade union bureaucrats um, who um, exercised very tight control over both the state uh, conference and over the state parliamentary party. Um, So I suppose... uh, the the analogy breaks down pretty badly there because the the contest was between a state a state branch and the federal branch um, and a disconnect between the two over their kind of um, political priorities um, whereas in this case now um, with this um, Somuerek affair what we're looking at is a kind of, you know, cl- clandestine, as clandestine as they managed to be, at least, because like you said, this seems to have been a bit of an open secret uh, group of insiders in the party um, managing affairs, but not uh, at least um, in a public facing way, not really taking the reins of the state branch, um, despite um uh, boasting that he was the one who chose, you know, chooses the Premier of Victoria, blah, 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 blah. He will. He will choose. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, any day now, I'm sure. Uh, But uh, yeah, so I mean, it's interesting. On the other hand, I do think like, um, so I've been reading a bit, um, you know, a bit of labor history, but this is stuff from the 70s. So stuff that doesn't really take account for changes in the landscape um, over the next couple of decades. Um, But that basically um, out of the um, federal intervention well, firstly, um, Whitlam got what he wanted. They did incredibly well, obviously, um, at the next uh, federal election. Um, Whitlam, <laughs> Whitlam ended. Um, what, what did it end up? These are 30-odd years of um, consist of, of constant... Something, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, so um, the Menzies era ended and, and Whitlam came in. Um, and it was definitely because, in part, because the Victorian branch in its reformed state was able to make a much better showing at that federal election. Um but what it also did was um it saw the creation of three new factions which um at the time in the, in the early 70s were starting started contesting and figuring out how to deal with this new constitution after this reform process had happened um and so you had the socialist left faction which remains a a force in in Victoria Victorian federal politics you had the um uh, the Labour Unity or Centre faction, which is a smaller faction, um, which uh, it, there is one, I'm not sure what, about how much of continuity there is, but um, that, that that is still a part of um, factional politics in Victoria. And then you had a right faction, which um, as far as I can tell is something of a misnomer, not necessarily committed to a kind of um, right-wing laborist politics, but rather defined as as the right faction or named so in opposition to the socialist left, um, but who, uh, in general, I think were more committed to you know a pragmatist approach. Uh, but um, drilling down into uh, principles uh, didn't have too much to, as far as political principles go, didn't have too much to disagree with the socialist left on. It was more about questions of you know organizational. Practice, and I think also one of the key divides was over how they regarded the legacy of the the old left and the the the, the former branch that had been dissolved. So you had um, generally, I think, a position on, in the socialist left that, despite uh, an unfortunate tendency towards uh, yeah autocracy, um, on the whole, what the uh, what the previous branch was doing was okay especially in terms of policy direction um and then uh as you've moved further into the other factions you get yeah a more strident critique of the way that they were handling the party the affairs of the state party um yeah so those factions then you know skip ahead to to sort of like the last um maybe five ten years in labor, the victorian labor politics you have um the industrial left remaining now um kind of Oh, sorry, the socialist left, I should say, remaining still and controlled by Kim Carr. Basically, what you've got now uh, in the the recent history is that the socialist left uh, had a breakaway group of a couple of unions, the CFMEU and the Rails, Trams and Buses Union. They uh, formed sort of um, a group called the industrial left. Um, And so in the recent history, what's happened is that industrial left grouping has um, ended up through a series of deals and factional lining up with the, yeah, the realignments right factions, yeah. lining up with this uh, center faction called the mods or the moderates which you mentioned before Matt um, which is Adam Somier's faction so that's kind of the recent history that leads us up to current point with a big Well the it's,
1: yeah look, look it's a, it's look it's a cluster isn't it Matt and but I think for people who out there who don't know I haven't experienced playing around with factions um is it our factions the problem? Um, the the liberal media, um, the smaller liberal media in Australia, or even the conservative media would often love to to run a. Uh, dress it up as a big straw man to you know have a crack at. is it is it factionalism that's uh, that's an issue Matt or or what is it I mean is is it a complete absence of, of ideology is it the bankruptcy of how um, the structures have enabled small cliques of people to, to dominate what what do, what do you think the issue actually is because if it's not the continuation of the issues from the 1970s um, what do you think?
2: Well, I actually think we need to go further back into history. Um, yeah, yep. you know, I think um, you know, there's there's two two places I kind of went to when um, when you guys invited me on to to have a chat. Um, and the first is uh, Robert Michels' um, uh, study into to political parties. Um, this is the, the uh, German Italian uh, sociologist who came up with the Iron War oligarchy. Um, who basically asserted that um, oligarchy is inedible, inevitable in any democratic organization. Um, this is something he wrote um in the early 20th century. Um, as an aside, he went on to to go to Italy and, and joined uh, Mussolini's uh, Fascist Party in the 1920s. So uh, One, but even a broken of our guys. Clock is even a even a broken clock is right uh twice a day. So um uh, he kind of he 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 um he's the first to to um, shed some light on 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 the the problems that and this is especially true for mass um, uh, left wing um, political entities, political parties, and trade unions alike that they do have a tendency to to oligarchy, um, and it's very hard to overcome that. A uh, his view, it's impossible. Um, and then you also have um, uh, V. Gordon Child's uh, book. Uh, from 1923, how Labor governs, which in my opinion is like the seminal text on describing how the Labor Party governs itself internally. Um, you know, it's it's basically a history of the first 30 years or so of the of the Australian Labor Party from its founding through to the the conscription debates and the split. Um, and but it's it's this really um, wonderfully insightful um, kind of uh, exploration of 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 the the. The tensions between the parliamentary party um, from its inception um, and the control of the parliamentary party by the the conference, by the the membership, and and by the trade unions. Um, And he goes on to show that no matter what um, uh, tools and 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 um, instruments the party comes up with to try and control and and cajole the uh, the parliamentary wing, um, the PLP. through its its commitment to the parliament over the, the party, um, and its its ability to um, yeah you know, its its resources disposal um, through its gold pass for rail and its its salaries and staffing that kind of thing, um, and also the their ability to use blackmail by threatening uh, resignation on mass and splitting um, that they are able to actually exert uh, uh, control um, and pacify the the, the parliamentary wing. Um, so they're, they're the places I go to uh, when I when I think about um, these problems because I think they're deeper than than your kind of um, politics um, intro to polls, um, you know, op-ed writer in the Age or or the Guardian's view of of, um, of how political parties work. I think there's actually some deep structural. Uh, issues that any democratic organisation face, and it's always a problem for the left because we represent a a class of people who who are not empowered in the system, who we want to give power to. For the the Tories, it doesn't matter because they 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 capture the state; they are effect, effectively the reflection of of in, entrenched power in society. So
1: they're not grappling with it. By, they?
2: No, like for them being controlled by competing oligarchies or, yeah. or whatever is is just how it operates, you know um so that, that's what we that's what we need to to grapple with um mm. you know so you look for inspiration in places like the uk labor party with the the labor new left uh who came about in the 1960s and 70s uh, the, the group around tony yeah. ben and the campaign for labor party democracy um who who fought for democratization of the party and the trade union movement um to try and overcome that and to try and um and to you know to, to create a coalition between the, men, the, the the constituency labor parties and the unions to to find a way of of, of controlling the the PLP so it actually would implement labor Party policy. Um, but as we've seen, it's not that. Simple.
0: Something that I've been reading, uh, just one of these good. it's RFI Smith uh, had a good thing. this is way back from like seventy four. Uh, writing about the um, the intervention where he and he has a really interesting um, and I think really useful little reflection on the pros and cons of a faction system and what they do for the party um so give me one second so just
2: while you're doing that I like, so basically on my view on, on factions is that um, you're always going to have competing groups who who are going to try and fight for control of any uh, democratic organization I think that's that's something we have to be um, um, Conscious of and 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 very much um, um, not naive to, um, but uh, to answer your question more succinctly, Ben, they are both um, a problem, but also something that that you don't that you can't avoid. You know, I think that um, your 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 question about um, the culture and the and the ideology of these groups is is important. Um, you know often the, the factions factions are created um as a result of of changes in the party as you as you guys um highlighted with the history of the victorian labor party but also the formation of of, of the federal parliamentary factions the national right and the national left um actually came about in in the in the 80s after the election of the hawk government and the creation of the very first national faction which was the center left so the the centre left group, which is the group of Bob McMullen and Andrew Lee and people like that, Alicia Payne are, are um, members of. Um, that is the first national faction. And as a response to the the creation of that group, you have the formation of the national right and the national left inside the Parliamentary Labour Party. So, um, and often these are the people who are the most anti-faction. Uh, people but it was actually there, the people who you know McMullen and Bill Hayden um, who got um, done over by Hawke and the like who who helped create a, um, the national factional system in which the Labour Party operates in today.
0: Uh, sort of just read this out because I think it's um, so uh, yeah, so the dangers and disadvantages of group divisions are well known. They include preoccupation with internal affairs to the extent of failing to identify external threats, conflicts structured around the personal antagonisms of group leaders, the denial of party positions to capable but unaligned members, the subordination of party supporters to uh, to deals worked out between group leaders, and the emphasis of differences, rather than points held in common. However, the formation and persistence of separate groups, not, less, not necessarily the same groups, also has advantages. Groups provide orderly teams for gaining office and benefits, uh, moderate, t- moderate tensions by providing members with a subgroup identity and a forum for letting out, for letting off steam. Uh, structure conflict in a way enabling leaders to see more clearly the issues involved and avoid the problems of attempting to confine one set of allegiances supporters with uh, legitimately different interests. Uh, so I guess that's like that's his kind of um, assessment of the pros and cons of factionalism and I guess um, as to the pros like something that um, comes up a lot when when people are defending ALP kind of faction arrangements is that it gives a chance for things to be hashed out and for consensus to be reached uh, in ways that don't you know create big public uh, divisions where they wouldn't where they're not necessary you know like it's kind of it's. I think that that's a good. It's a good argument. It's not necessarily an unhealthy thing for party democracy. That's right. It is in
2: their idealized form, and I don't think this has ever really existed. But in their idealized form, what they are are the um, expressions of the different tendencies um, of who the Labour Party represents, right? That's that's they're supposed to be that the reflection of those different um, tendencies. You know, whether it's. Um, socialists or um moderate trade unionists or people from um you know a a, a more um rural regional um perspective or people with different uh, views on on how um the party should should engage in in the state and democracy that's what it should be Um, i don't know if it's ever really been that um, but that's that's what it ought to be and if, if that is the case like if they're there to pass um and to kind of overcome tensions that that are raised through differences of of opinion through policy and, and method then great um but often in the case that's not how it works at all they're basically competing um competing sets of oligarchies um of varying kinds and makeups but that's too often what what we see um very few of the, the state-based factions are uh uh, ideologically well-formed and are pursuing an ideologically consistent or or a policy platform um, of any note.
0: Mm. That's interesting because that is something that I think um, has come up recently in the analysis. Um, I think in the conversation or maybe an inside story something that I read talked about uh, part of the like the conditions for this to happen um, was the kind of the erosion of a, a meaningful ideological difference between some of the factions in Australia in in in, in Labor politics that uh, really they represent maybe different approaches to uh, party organisation and the organisation of the state rather rather than uh, to very meaningfully different um, sets of policy goals or, or principles.
2: Yeah, look, I think I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. Or yeah. if I think actually, what you know, there's 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 a couple of things. One is that. Um what has happened in the ALP quite a bit in the last uh, 30, 40 years is that uh, ideological debates have been um, reflected by debates about organisation. Right. So the debates about um, democracy in the Labor Party and the type of party we want to be have kind of substituted for more fundamental questions. Which is why I think you almost see uh, rules debates at conferences being more passionate than than some other policy debates because it goes to fundamentally about the nature of the party, how power is 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 disseminated, and and who we let have a say and how we reflect ourselves in in the public, right? Like that's that's the questions that are being answered in these. What what any other what what a normal person would think are boring, banal like pointless debates. That's that's kind of the root of what why those debates occur. Um, And I think also you know there's a lot of the the people such as Somerick and that organised that they they're anti-socialist. You know, so they there is an ideological bent in there it's not a very well formed one um or even you know very well articulated but there is certainly a, a some kind of a cold war throwback going on i think in in big parts of the party still um and i think the split in the 1950s is still the waves of that are still flowing through the labor party even to this day so i think there's still a, a, at, a at a quite a subterranean level there is still an ideological. Um, some kind of an ideological basis for this stuff. Not, not entirely. It's not the, the, the great, you know, there are opportunistic dicks in there who want to, like, just take power for the sake of it. But certainly how they respond to other groups in the party um, can have a, a philosophical perspective as well.
0: It's funny that you uh, mentioned that actually, it's like we've gone full circle because last time we had you on, we talked about um, the ideological basis for the um, sort of opposition gr- uh, group that was undermining um, the 2017 UK election Labour campaign. And um, we yeah, we kind of ended up, I think, in a, in a sort of similar conclusion that there's, re- there are reverberations happening from events in the 1990s, 19, obviously 1989, and then back further and further um, that color people's perceptions of each other um and their perceptions of who who should get to speak and wield power in the party mm. yeah
1: it's yeah it's it's it, the similarities of uk labor are, are definitely stark um there for us in australia in terms of um that residual uh, anti-democratic sort of outlook um that have they've come i mean we talked about it last time we had met on um coming out of the blairite period but um those people who were i guess the people who'd lived through the cold war and then moved into the well the cold war's right over and, and we're now all neoliberals now isn't it wonderful um and I, I think we've got now is we've got the absolute look i i think there is an extent yeah there's politics to it but the politics is literally just about power and our being and in the position of power being somehow the the ultimate aim being holding government as somehow, you know, the means to the ends. And um, there's no actual, not much in the way of like, um, I mean, the ideology bit, you sort of go, well, what is their ideology? It's just basically it's um, either... either well, they're just bullshit artists, really, aren't they? Like they—they'll say anything that they think they—they're they're like weather vanes, you know. Like, if if uh, the popular thought is on on um, some issues that they they go with it, um, you'll see some of the these individuals talk up their credentials on, say, climate change. Um, they're always the johnny come lately's, really, aren't they? Like. Um, I'm thinking here of uh, gay marriage as one of the, the interesting ones over the last 20 odd years in Australia. The uh, So many mm. different people in the Labor Party had fought so hard against that and all of a sudden, you know. The erstwhile people up the front when it really didn't cost them anything to come out up the front, or whether it's. um. Uh, what we've seen with climate change, it's been uh, an interesting development there. But um, but at the same time, there's there's more traditional neoliberal economic sort of stuff going on there. But um, they're not really... Um, yeah, it's not not coherent other than the status quo is okay, but I can do it better than they can because I'm a unique snowflake. I don't know.
2: I kind of think that's actually the... I think you've kind of hit on the, the, the point there. I actually kind of didn't agree with, with what you were saying for the most part there, but I think what you... The last bit we say they end up just defending the status quo yeah i actually that's actually the the basis for a lot of the politics of of many players in in the labor party um is that there's no um that the the need to the want to attract to, to gain power for the sake of wielding it um and then once they get it they basically just become defenders of the status quo i think is is is, is real um I, I think that, um, and that because of that, they actually are reactionary um, to things like climate change, to things like um, liberation policies, like um, like gay marriage, and, and things like that um, that are led by social movements. It, it actually it actually creates a a reactionary. Um, it's the first flying muscles. Um, it's it's the it actually creates a reactionary um, form of politics because they're trying to defend their power inside the party and try and be mainstream from a policy perspective but they end up missing the boat um often on 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 when the public um changes so uh, on your point of them end up kind of being led as opposed to leading is is true and we definitely have seen that with um with with gay marriage Um, we're seeing a reaction at the moment on climate change you know there are some some uh people in the in the labor party who um who kind of want to keep their heads in the sand on it because they think that's how we're going to win elections, um, in the future. Um, certain member for Hunter is the prime example of that.
0: I did, uh, kind of ironically name your last episode that you were on, Matt. I named it, um, like none of that over here. I don't think something like that. So <laughs> now I'm, I'm I'm, I've got the lathe of heaven. Uh, so I won't do that again, so that we don't. I don't. I don't want to cause any more um, massive political disasters. <laughs> yeah, probably the what chickens. What we don't come. have over
2: here, though, what we don't have over here that mm. they have in the UK, though, is a is a well uh, constructed um, uh, or, or a, a tendency in the party that has that has always fought for um, um, the the enfranchisement of uh, individual members of the party and the movement um, around a radical socialist uh, agenda. Um, we, we don't have that here um, at all. What we do have in Australia is, is, a, is, is certainly a push to get rid of rotten boroughs an anti-corruption um, push, which often comes from the left, um, and that does come with a democratisation agenda as well. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of crucial to the New South Wales left um, perspective. Um, but it's not married with a, a more radical policy platform. It's usually married with a more kind of uh, uh, a more muscular social democratic uh, agenda because we don't have the kind of, for reasons of scale and history, I think we don't have the kind of <laughs> um, grades of difference in, in um, all the different tendencies within, within our, our politics. I think that strand is very small in Australia. Um, what you, what you know, what you would call the soft left in, in the UK, the Tribuneite type people, and the 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 Benite left. There is no like they're just the left in Australia. Inside the left, you have different tendencies. You know, there are obviously a great number of people inside the left in the Labor Party who are pretty soft uh, on policy, um, but support more votes for members. Um, and some you have are quite radical on policy but don't support enfranchisement at all um yeah. so it's that's sorry to, to kind of go on a bit of a tangent but we that's that's what we don't have in in australia
1: so i mean i think man like we don't have momentum in in yeah. australia but i think what's interesting is is what you put out put out on the 14th of june i think it was like within hours of the the because you had that benefit of being in belgium like you know it was nine time yeah, <laughs> But um, when the news hit, our man in Brussels um, <laughs> put out a great, uh, great call to action for um, for members of the ALP um, to, to to sort of see these things stop. And I think I just want to just go to a couple of couple of key dot points that you you wrote on your Facebook post, which which got taken up by by some segments of the media, which is you know which is nice. I know you you said you hadn't intended that to happen, but it but it did, and I think it's probably very fortunate it did. But the key points you said, it's um, I mean just look, key points that you, you had uh, that it's time to overhaul the state and territory branches and introduce a national membership system and a national framework for democratic decision making. Uh, dot point two was it's time for strong anti-stacking measures such as payment by traceable means and introducing regular audits of membership records which are publicly disclosed. Uh, three, it's time for honest party members and individual members of affiliated unions to be empowered to pre-select candidates and help form a party policy. And four, it's time for greater reporting of membership and financial information to members and affiliates. Now, I think those four things really sum up um a call to action but there fundamentally that that is what had been missing um what we see you know ICT's got some good things but you know obviously we still we've fallen short on a, a few things there it's arguable um so I necessarily want to talk about on this this podcast but um Interstate, though, it's pretty clear we've, we've, you know, had a lot of fun making fun of our our dear New South Wales comrades who are incapable of putting up a meeting, though, uh, sort of letting people know where their local sub-branch is in their town. And, I mean, good luck to the um, the former mayor Mayor of Bega Bega, who has been – uh, graciously handed pre-selection. Um, they had to get a membership sorted out beforehand to run in a by-election in the seat of Ian Monero. Now, I'm not saying she's probably quite a good candidate. The irony the actually executive
2: pre-selecting someone who's not a party member, but uh, overriding the rights of a party member from our understanding a pre-selection in the ACT two years ago is not lost on me, comrades.
1: Yes, no. yes. No, and, and that is like, uh, these are some of these these just gaping, huge hypocrisies uh, that currently exist in the, um, in federal labor and in, in the various state branches, um, you know, they, they do need to be fixed. Um, I guess the question is, Matt, like, is it a matter of, of people like us, uh, trying to cohere and, and organize, our know, existing factions around a, a campaign and, and, um, uh, a campaign group, so to speak, to call for concrete, you know, like here's here's a bunch, here's a four point plan, and and off we go. Or and or do we to look at what happens with momentum in the UK and um, their current debate, which is at the moment, which is they're having elections at the moment. Um, it's a huge organisation where they're opening literally a discussion, not just about how they make labour more open and democratic, but also basically being a, a socialist, an openly socialist group in the British Labour Party. Do we need to have a, an openly socialist, um, a democratic socialist um, group in the ALP? Is it possible to do that? Well, I think there's, there's, there's a few things there. One, one is
2: momentum is, a response, is, is able to occur to out of a mass um, membership organisation. Um, momentum, um, momentum's growth and success um, rode off the back of the Corbyn wave. Um, not just of his, his success in the election, but also that the huge number of people who joined the party, um, meant that there was a base of members in which to ferment and tap into and build an organisation out of. Well, we don't have that here. Okay, our membership at best would be 50,000 people, I think, nationally, um, between fifty and 60,000 people, I think, being generous. Someone said it was 30,000 in the Canberra Times. I don't know where they got that number from, but that's just wrong. Um,
0: um but minus about ten thousand sign signups, maybe.
2: Uh we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I don't think it's that many. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, um, maybe forty-five thousand. Uh, so I don't. I don't know if the grounds there really for for building an institution inside the Labour Party quite to the extent of momentum. But I do think there's certainly grounds for a campaign. What What we need to do is, is is build a coalition of of members who who want who want to fund like who want to f- fix the organisational problems of the party with trade union uh, as well. Nothing can occur, no reform can occur in the Labor Party without trade union support. It's impossible unless it comes from the top. And then if it comes from the top, it has to be uh, negotiated and passed through the pre-existing power structures in the party, right? So if if you're going to go for change from the bottom up, you have to create a, you have to form some kind of alliance between uh, members from a broad range of perspectives so that would have to include unaligned um and more like anti-faction uh people uh the left those who are supportive of a dem- democratic and an empowered labor party and unions who can uh, who can apply pressure to parliamentarians who they have uh, um, af- affiliations with i think that's that's certainly what's required um that's basically how Labor Party democracy works in terms of policy debates so, in you know, a national conference. Um, the way that, that, that successful changes to the national platform are, are made is, is through campaigns, um, usually started by rank and file members of the party, almost always from people close to the left, if not in the left, and who, who form a national campaign infrastructure um, and alliances across branches and, and, and trade unions um, to be able to, 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 to build a, a, a coalition of delegates at national conference. I think that's your best bet. Rule changes, though, are uh, like getting a change to the national platform is very hard getting a change to the rules of the Labor Party is even harder because the rules debate is at the the last session on the third day of conference. Uh, It's very easy for that to blow up um, and for uh, bureaucratic shenanigans to be played to uh, undermine and and even stop the the debate from happening. So... um, my, I think is any any, any campaign to um, change the rules. Labor Party fundamentally need a majority of uh, delegates to conference. So, campaigns for the election of delegates to national conference is going to be pretty crucial. There is supposed to be a national conference at the end of this year in Canberra. I have no idea where that's at with COVID and um, and the like, but. Um, at some point, if that is actually going to happen, they need to have elections for national conference delegates. And it's going to be a pretty small window. I don't even know how they're going to have a national policy forum process between now and it's it's nearly the end of June. And if they're going to have a, a conference in November or December uh, this year, then, um, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of time.
0: If, if that were to happen, I mean, the Victorian branch has been, you know, effectively dissolved. Um, so, genuine question uh how, how does one as a, as a member of the victorian branch of the alp like how is in the event that the conference goes ahead how, how does like one's participation in that event how is it affected
1: yeah well i think i think members in victoria need to ask that question mm. 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 yeah because i mean that's that's one of the things that's been interesting while things have moved very quickly in victoria it's um, how quick and how hard is it actually going to be? How, how uh, determined are they to actually clean it up properly so that the things that Matt has highlighted in terms of, um, you know, actually having a system of membership so that you know that someone who's paid has not only just paid their membership but is also aware as to what they've actually joined. <laughs> um, but, but also that... Um, you know, we we know where they live. We, you know, that's, that's pretty, pretty clear stuff. Like, um, we, we had that experience in Labour a couple of years ago under your leadership, Matt, when we were trying to bring in uh, a monthly deduction fee and the kind of opposition we had uh, against that was, was quite incredible. But by having a monthly deduction fee, it's possible to go, okay, it's this person who's paying and, and also you can match up. Are they on the electoral roll to, you know, the address that they are provided for... Uh, on their form like it's those sort of things but it is quite you know it's i don't know it's gobsmacking and some of those basic things don't necessarily exist in some branches is, is that right well
2: there's two things right so there's there's there are the the reforms you can do to clean up your branch or to make your processes better no process is is, is infallible you know like it, a very if, if you were if you had enough time and money you could probably break any any system to be brutally honest um it's just you need to create disincentives to make it really hard for people to do that. Um, so there's the the actual reforms, like as, as, as you said, Ben, introducing small um, regular payments to membership, killing ca- cash as a form of of payment. So it has to go through a a traceable means, such as a, a credit card that belongs to the household of the of the member. You know, so it's a parent or or or, or a partner can can yeah. Yeah, pay. Um, and also things like having trip wires for um, membership of um, of, a, of a local branch, um, you know, the anti-stack rule. they're eight, eight per month, or it's different in some states. Um, those those types of things are, are really crucial, I think, for for disincentivizing stacking. Um, and we certainly saw um, in the ACT uh, previous to bringing in those reforms, um, people would walk in with handfuls of, of, of not not many. 10 10 or so forms of, of of paper membership forms that were signed with the money taped to the form you have no idea where they're from did they pay it themselves you just you just don't know and there's no evidence one way or the other but it's it just is dodgy when some dude walks up with you know eight to ten you know or walked around their street or whatever and just you know signed up people um it just feels wrong mm-hmm. um and that 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 clean that up. The second yeah. point, though, is that the party office needs it. The administration and governance of the party needs a culture where they take those things seriously, and are the people in the party office administering the membership system and and the, actually like does their job. And the yeah. problem is, is we have in many places are either officials who are elected because of a subfactional relationship, or who you know employ staff from that you know from those groupings. Who like don't look into that stuff or don't care about that stuff or actually there to perpetuate the problematic system that's already there, you know? Like uh, the 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 recently the departed UK secretary. Labor well, I mean, the recently <laughs> departed yeah. um, um, New South Wales general secretary uh, yeah. started her her career in the membership as the membership officer in the New South Wales branch, right? Like,
0: mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So oh, you were going to say something
1: before, but Oh, yeah. No, Matt was reminding me of a, a weird experience I had some years ago, and I probably won't give too much context to it. But I do remember that we did actually have to act rather quickly to um, provide it an educational opportunity for a community that all of a sudden – a whole bunch of them wanted to join the Labour Party, and they're particularly keen on one candidate. Um, but I mean, I remember at the time, it was handled very well, in the sense, it was um, sure, you can do that, but we were going to have a special meeting, and a meeting was organized at a hall, and people were invited, and they were assurances that a whole lot of people were more than welcome, and the speakers were, I mean, I was one of them, but, um, but <laughs> you had to be there to talk to, it like, it was basically an educational thing about, okay, this is you know, this this is what the Labor Party is, this is what it involves and this is what being a member of the trade union movement is and this is what it involved. And And that went really well because it meant that, you know, making it very clear about the seriousness that we took those organisations that were apart um, to people in the community who may not have necessarily known what it was that they were being, you know, encouraged to join and sign up to. And, you know, on the whole, it was probably it was a positive thing. But you compare that, you know, like, I think, you know, we also say thankfully had processes in place to ensure that, you know, that people couldn't get away with just going and paying someone's membership fee, which is sort of the ridiculous stuff we've had seen down in Victoria. But that was an example of like, you know, okay, if all of a sudden, if you've got a party officer that goes, this isn't right, we've got a whole bunch of forms coming in from a particular it looks like a particular group of people, you know, go and nip it in the bud and, and sort it out, like to make it clear what, what exactly is going on. To also just check that it's not, um, I guess, nefarious
0: would be the term. I'm not going to lie. I thought yeah. you were going to say you had that meeting and then like one guy turned up and he... No, you, no, no. Like we, he was the we, one no, that no, signed all let people There was a whole up. bunch. There was yeah, a whole okay. bunch. Myself and <laughs> a, a
1: former... Um, yeah. The former probably no, we had to, you know, literally give mm. ALP one hundred and one slash, you know, trade union one hundred and one mm. to some people from a, uh, you know, from a um, a local non English speaking background community. I'm not going to go in any more than that, but that was it that was culture, weird. It, yeah, it was weird, but it was it was very good that that happened because um, mm. otherwise they they would have been um, if we didn't have the mechanism we had and we didn't have a party officer that said, hey, let's let's. Look into this and let's actually deal with this as, as education as opposed to, oh, we'll just take the money and not pay any, any mm-hmm. attention. Um, you know, it's going, well, the, the, what the Somniacs were doing. And-
2: it's the difference between having cultural norms that are, that are about bringing people into the party um, as an enfranchising process as opposed to an exploitative process. Yeah. Um, there was a, uh, the, the comments made by the Victorian um, uh, Ethnic Community Council, um, yeah. it was great. You know, I think that's those that the, the article is, is is around. You can find it pretty easily. But the comments are made, made by the, the chair of that, um, who's also a former um, Labour um, Minister for Multicultural Affairs. Um, but the, those comments about you, people come from different perspectives and backgrounds and experiences with political decision making. They should be empowered and, 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 and engaged in, in getting involved in the political process. And there is a, a a big problem the Labor Party has is not diverse enough, and it's certainly something we weren't really able to tackle during my time in the ACT. But you, you don't use that as an excuse to exploit people, and yep. that's that's what is happening in Victoria, you yep. know, across across both sides. they're basically um, manipulating groups of people to say, you know, use use practices of how politics practice in, in 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 people's um, home countries, and try and use that that exploit those those methods and to to bring people in and then Mm. um use it to make decisions in in the labor party um and you've basically disenfranchised and burnt a whole bunch of people
0: Mm. so i mean um we we've talked about kind of some of the maybe longer term more difficult um reforms that need to happen um to to deal with uh branch stacking like the instance we've just seen um the Premier of Victoria and you know, um, leader of the Parliamentary Party, Dan Andrews, requested the federal intervention saying that he had no confidence in the membership roles that existed at the moment, which is pretty fair enough. Jenny Macklin and Steve Brax, who's the former, Steve Brax, former she Victorian Premier, Jenny Macklin, a Victorian federal MP. Uh, is she still, she's former as well? She was definitely, definitely in the Labour Party as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. She's um, retired, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, have been appointed to come in as um, the administrators. Um, What do you guys expect to see them coming up with? Um, Will it be stuff that's really kind of reforms around um, governance and auditing? Or do you think there'll be sort of maybe deeper structural changes? Um, And I guess the the feeling that I've got from our conversation so far is that really the only um, surefire bulwark against this kind of subversion of the of the genuine membership is a an engaged vigilant mass membership um that you know exists in every branch to the um to the extent that it's just not feasible to flood branches with fake or you know non-genuine members so yeah what do you guys think about those appointments and um, what should we expect to see from them over the next couple months when their report comes out i thought they should have given you a call matt what's going on
2: what's going on you couldn't pay me enough to go back like
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what do you, what do you reckon, Matt? Go Bra- Braxy and oh. Macklin will sort it out, eh? <laughs> well, I, I, look,
2: I think the appointment of Macklin and Brax is, is, is a good thing. I think the party needed to go to administration. I think you need very firm hands managing mm-hmm. the show because there are obviously officials in the in the party office. Um, in fact, there are quite new officials in, in the party office, so it's hard to know kind of where they're um you know where they're at in terms of, of managing um what is clearly a longer term issue than than what has been reported you know i, I think it's, it's it's pretty obvious now when you go back the last few months and read articles that this is a problem that's that's been going on for some time um so i think in that respect it's good from just a very clear operational point of view um brax was also one of the authors of the um brax review in the 2010 election campaign, which was one of the most thorough um, investigations of, of the party, not just from an electoral point of view, but from an organisational and cultural point of view as well. Um, and from all account, like uh, BRAC's embraced their recommendations of the report. It's, it's available online. If you Google it, it's very easy to find, um, highly recommend people do. Um, and that that had a lot of, of recommendations about what what a party could do, a branch could do to uh, to clean its act up and become more relevant to the experiences of of our supporters uh, who want to engage in politics. So if if he's dusting that, if he and, and Macklin are dusting that document off and using that as as a as a as a, as a point to work from, then um, that's pretty good. Um, but you know, ultimately these. Um, These changes are going to be passed through the National Executive, which is controlled by people who, you know, benefit in one way or the other from a system that um, rejected the brax falkner car report, you know, in 2011, Um, the National Commons there. So, you know, I think we have to be a bit, um, we have to be a bit um, cautious about our optimism for reform. I think you're most likely to get a cleaning up of the membership system and the process around joining yeah. and, and that kind of thing. I think there's a good chance that an overhaul of the system, of the membership system, and, and that, that kind of technical stuff is, is likely to occur. Um, uh, there'll be, I, I reckon you'll see things like TripWise introduced. Um, you might see the central branch, um, dissolved or, or fundamentally reform in some way shape or form <laughs> um, you might see um, power taken off um, local branches in terms of joining and stuff like that more might have to go through the party office which were which should be sub- subject to more oversight yeah. then um, and then should be there should be more reporting as, as a result of that. I think that's where you're more likely to see reform um, mm-hmm. I mean, in an ideal world, um, you'd get rid of the public office selection um, committee, uh, which is the, the thing that they all fight over, uh, control of, in order to kind of gerrymander the results in, in pre-selections. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a, a, a committee. Um, I'm not 100% sure of how it's elected or formed, but part of it is through conference. Um, I think the other part might be through FEC elections. I, I could be wrong. Um, and it has a 50% say in pre-selections. Um, so record file members get a say in their electorate, and then this comes over the top. So if you, if you, if you can wheel and deal um, an, an 80% majority on that, and then you have 20% of pre-selectors, you win, basically. So um, that's, that's how it works. That's how the show is, is, is gerrymandering in Victoria. Um, as opposed to other states where where it, that don't have a hundred percent record file vote, it, its conference gets the 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 other portion of the say.
0: I could be wrong with that. That might be a system in Victoria that came out of the um, nineteen seventy intervention, or maybe that was adapted after sort of through that. Constitution. I'm not aware of so, its history. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure. I-
1: don't know either. Mm. I knew they had something like that. I knew it wasn't a straight member yeah, member vote.
2: Well, I argue more more of a, a professionalisation, mm.
1: yep. as
2: opposed to a, a change. That's that's right. Yep. You look at the reforms that happened in New South Wales recently, the intervention that happened there, and the reforms that came out of that were a professionalisation of the party office. You know, in inverted commas, um, less take take the political heat out of that and the systems that that kind of. Um, uh, underpin the party, and that's that's kind of where, where you're at. But it doesn't it doesn't really upset the the main power um, dynamics. Um, I think the the positioning in in the pages of the Australian by um, some some unnamed sources of the Victorian right, saying this is a power grab by um, by um, uh, Daniel Andrews and Anthony Albanese for the left, are are, um, are pretty clear indicators of where the pushback is going to come from mm. and where where I think the lines are being drawn. Mm.
1: It doesn't, um, doesn't feel one with very positive feelings about being in the Labor Party <laughs> with, no in, in to, terms to, of like, you no know, okay, to it's, something is, it's obvious. Anyone with half a brain reading, you know, uh, any of their headlines and when you actually sort of start talking about the nitty-gritty of, oh, how do you change it? Like, what, what needs to be changed? Oh, well... Literally change your membership database, and, and oh, maybe you know a, a member should be actually able to have one member, one vote to actually for their for the representatives that they're going to pre-select, and maybe they should have more of a say in their. Po- it's 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 really kind of depressing when you look at um what's what's going on in, in other state branches, but I, I guess it goes back to that fundamental. Like, um, the only way to change. There's the two things like, you know, do we just go, look, it's all just too hard and piss off and join the Greens um, or, or um, you know, go and join a farcical tiny organisation connected to, uh, well, a completely deregulated university sector, uh, which is pretty much where those people are, are a sect uh, around that. Um, or do we stay in labor and and keep fighting for socialist politics but in part of that fighting for a more democratic um party like what it's yeah I I know broadly where I need to be but what do you think man like you know like how do we how do we ben it's obviously difficult to. you make me feel better about ben it mate. Is, is there any hope in this at all or or about us just... becoming the Australian George Galloway please yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, of course, there are, there, there are um, <laughs> yeah. you've got to be realistic about, about the fight. You know, Australia doesn't, we don't, our left here, we don't have big institutions outside of the, the trade union movement in the Australian Labor Party. Um, I think I said on, the, on the, the last time I was on here that the only places, that the two things you either you do are you, you try and reform and rebuild the, the Labor Party and the Labor movement or you try and build left-wing institutions that we lack in Australia. I think that's really it. I think like going into competing um, political parties is um, and trying to grow them is is um is a waste of energy in my opinion. Um, and I think that you know as as tempting as it is for for, for folks, you like the history of, of, of politics in Australia is littered with the remains and remnants of 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 attempts to 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 upend and replace the yeah. Labour Party. Um that the biggest one that, that ever um, existed outside the Labor Party was the Communist Party, which was not very effective electoral vehicle, but was very effective at, at, at contesting the trade union movement and, and building social movements, even though it only ever reached the membership of about 20,000 people. Um, and that was in the height of political participation in Australia as well. You know, the, the kind of post-war you know, period, um, you know, that's, that's 20,000 now. You know that's 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 it. Um, so I, I'm really reticent to um, to suggest people go down that path. Not just because I'm in the ALP, but because if you're not informed by history, then I think um, you're bound to repeat its mistakes. Um, but I think reasons to to stay and fight. Oh well, there is success. You know, we have had successes. The ACT is an example. Queensland um, is an example. They have now implemented the most rigorous. Um, Political um, uh, donation laws uh, in in Australia that will have an effect. That will have an effect on on the culture of the party. It will have an effect on 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 the LNP for sure as well. But it will definitely have an effect on the culture in the Labor Party. Um, it will, you know, I think those types of things are our wins. Um, where I think we need to be more um, engaged is. Is actually engaging the trade union movement. I think on this stuff, you know, they they do see them. They they you know rightly to to, to most extent see themselves as the owners uh, of the of the proprietors of the party. But you don't see any of their voices in in this debate in Victoria, apart from um, the CFMU looking to take. Uh, the party to court over the actions. And I mean, the, the recent history of the relationship between the Victorian CFMU and the Labour Party are quite well known. Some of you all know the, the undercurrents involved there. Um, but, you know, people need to start engaging them and finding out what it is, where they stand on this stuff. Because um, I've kind of come to this view recently that there's only going to be coalitions of, of, um, of trade union members. And, and ALP members that are going to actually um, build or rebuild the movement um, in some way, shape, or form. I, I, um, you know, for, for all the, the critiques that exist out there of, of trade union officials, one thing they are they they can be is, is responsive to an agitated membership, especially if you target the right members. So I kind of think that's, that's where people need to go. Um, I'd be interested to know what, what do you guys think of that, but I, I kind of think that um, you can't clean the game up unless you have more participation from from more people um, who are honest um, um, members. I think you need to overcome oligarchy, um, and I think we need basically we need to find a way of, of, of getting uh, union members to have a voice or a say in, in in the party in some way, shape, or form. And I alluded to that in my um, in my um, Facebook post uh, the other week because I think we need to the, the reviews that have come out recently suggest that we're not in touch uh, apparently with our, our traditional working class base. The only institution we have really to um, to tap into that, that group of people are the unions and you know, you know maybe having a, a more deliberative or engaging um, trade union members in deliberations around party policy Things like that could be a, a, a useful way forward, um, and could actually show the um, the powers that be that this is you know, they need to move. I'm not sure about a way of, of how you, how you would build a pre-selection model, um, because I think you need you need people to have a, a decent reason to, to to actually pay the membership fee and join the party, um, and you need to actually cultivate and, and, and nurture an activist base inside the party as well. Um, so maybe deliberation around. Um, certain aspects of the formation of party policy that could be a way forward
0: well in recent history democratizing pre-selections has shown good signs of its you know for its ability to encourage people to join uh, the party I think it is it 2010 um, when there was a the more recent changes to how pre-selections worked and, and enfranchisement of members in the is it in the Rudd reforms I think that uh, I think led to supposedly uh, for three and a half thousand additional uh, members joining something like that after nah, it was the lecture of the leader yeah yeah, yeah. yeah sorry that's right yeah, yeah yeah thanks yeah. um yeah so, well well I mean so people like that and um, it's a way to get people to join a party of course there's like the shining example of the um like the Corbin uh the p- people flocking to the party mm. um, after the Corbin changes as well um, in the UK
2: well, actually, changes brought in by a miller band to that's right, that's uh, to to knock off the uh, the union and the left.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Well, they just misread it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but anyway,
1: what do you guys think of, of
2: what, I've, what I've yeah? Look,
1: I, I think I think being really clear uh, with unions that when we're talking about unions, being really clear about who in unions we're talking to, because I, I think there's a there's a there's a gulf between. Um, what is an amorphous membership? We don't know necessarily. A membership's got all sorts of different views, as opposed to the uh, elected leaders of of uh, trade unions. Um, yeah, I'm I'm extremely cynical about of um, letting particularly a lot of the ones that i've known uh, letting them anywhere near um <laughs> having much more to, to say about policy and direction I, i've i've they've gotten more and more conservative and well and truly all about the status quo but however i do take matt's point if you actually want to go and change the rules and have a more democratic party at some point you need to build momentum to um you know, whether it's a four point you know rule change that you want to go and bring ab- bring about or ca- something you want to campaign about, at some point you actually have to uh, convince um, some of those barely accountable and barely democratically elected people that it's in their interest to actually participate. Yeah. And I guess that's where we agree. If, if um, the way to apply pressure on a, on a union official is by uh, there being a, enough people that they think in their membership that think it's a, an issue that they always deal with, they're always constantly looking over their shoulder because they regard everyone as a threat, you know, particularly their membership.
0: Mm. So when we say unions, uh, we're talking about workers uh, working collectively in their collective interests. We're, yeah. we're ambivalent about um, particular you know, um, union leaderships or bureaucrats. Yeah, I mean, uh, particularly
1: the ones yeah. who find themselves all of a sudden because they've hung around an office and um, gone from doing – administrative
0: positions to somehow all of a sudden miraculously being the boss so in part the project is not just one that has to happen within the labor party right it also has to happen within all of our own unions the ones that we're members of and participate in. yeah um that we have to always work to see uh better mass union membership participation in the union's activities within the labor party how it relates to the labor party and how it represents them because that's what every union is actually doing when it's you know um trading favors and um making deals in back rooms is really they're not wielding their own power the people doing that they're wielding the power of the members of their unions um, often without their knowledge or consent
1: so mass membership transparency Mm. and accountability though those are the three things and Mm. and i think we talked about this last time we chatted matt like the the key thing why why the labor project is probably um, one that um, socialists should be in is the fact that labor ends up is has the potential of forming government, which no other party has got that, that opportunity. I know we talked about you know power, you know that's not the means, but the fact that it does matter who ends up winning government in the historical context we find ourselves in, in the polit power relations that that exist. So it does matter who forms government, and that there is given the crisis of um, I guess, participation and, and the, the 21st century throwing up its disruption to how people used to previously be engaged in politics, the decline of, of parties and the more um, uh, bureaucratic and oligarchic of them, there is perversely enough, um, there is openings there for people to actually um, change that and turn it around and become involved. So let's not forget that under Tony Blair, the UK Labour was going to go off a cliff uh, and almost ceased to, cease to exist as a as a result of Cliff and Brown, and they were forced to make pretty um, radical democratic reforms, which saw their you know stabilise their membership. But but now the you know, UK UK Labour is the biggest um, social democratic or left party in in all of the all of Europe. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. I think. I think you're right that i think mass mass membership transparency and accountability are, are key to overcoming these challenges I think we do we need to be out there engaging um, as Jacob said working people in their you know in their unions and that's that's how we're going to bring out change in in, in the the relationship i think between the um the, the movement and and the party um, I think that it's it's worth thinking about um you know, the point you raised as well, Ben, about the thing is that these parties have ossified as as organisations into how they're related to people, and you guys will have heard me go on about this stuff, um, you know, when I was secretary, is um, the way people communicate and engage has changed um, and and parties haven't kept up with that. Um, And only now trade unions are changing as well. Um, You know, certain unions are adopting more online and offline ways of communicating and and organising working people. But the party hasn't, you know, the party really hasn't adopted those 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 tactics. So when a person joins, even if a person joins, they don't really know what the point of membership is. They don't really know what they get, like what they can do. They're not really educated or encultured in the party when they join, and then um, they're not kind of connected up well um, with with other members. Part of that is 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 culture and the norms that are built up over over the years, part of it is a lack of resources um, in state branches. And another part is that, that the way we organise and communicate with people hasn't kept up with the, with, with the way that people do now, right? Like that's just the fact that you guys have this issue at home where where you can have your meetings on Zoom but you can't actually make any decisions, I think is like a classic example of, of that, right? So and we, now, we all know why the National Executive made that decision because of victoria but um (laughs) but you know like it's that's the thing you know we we live in a more um networked world um i wouldn't say yeah basically we need to find ways of connecting people up outside of the 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 one or two ways that the party has defined people can organize in you know for the last you know 80 years which is basically branch and other forms of meetings i think we need to um, we need to invest in tools and and change the the mindset of how the party engages members, uh, and that's certainly stuff that the ACT is 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 working on. Um, and moving towards, um, but you know, we're the seventh largest, sixth largest branch in the country. So you know, like it's unless those things occur in Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, it's not. You know, it's it's a great example and a shining light, but not. Um, it's like a fundamentally reform the party as a whole.
1: Mm, yep. Well, cool. Yeah, Hope we leave it at that? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. No, I could talk all day about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we'll stop recording so we can just keep chatting with you.
0: Yeah. So, Anyways. well, uh, before we stop recording, at oh, least yeah. um, thanks so much for coming on oh, the show that's again. Right, Great yes. to have you back, um, <laughs> and you're welcome back anytime. Uh, next time, shit hits the fan or, or not. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So- and- Thanks for uh, convincing me not to uh, go and cancel
1: my membership there.